Like, I forgot to mention in the last episode when we were talking about it that I just really love how a lot of people have to try really hard to be actors and stuff, but to be a very effective villain, all Werner Herzog needs to be is, you know, quiet and polite. <laughs> like, he's a scary-ass motherfucker just by being Werner Herzog. I know, I know. Like, he probably had to tone himself down just to be the villain. Brokazatsu, two brothers, exploration of Tokazatsu shows and related media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I apologize for kind of the slipshod nature of coverage that it's going to be for the next couple of episodes. Because, uh, so in, in this one, we were planning to do an episode of Zero One, but it took a long time for subs to drop. And honestly, it made a lot of sense for Gaim for us to stop right at 23, because it's almost like an act break. So we're doing three Gaim this time, instead of, as stated last time, uh, two Gaim and a zero one. And uh, it, it's more complicated stuff is coming up. I mean, I'll, we'll try to get back to normal, but it may take a few episodes to normalize. Uh, but I mean, we're going to cover the stuff we're going to cover. Harry, I think if you look at our catalog, at like, you know, at our rate of coverage... Like, going back to wildly just random blocks of shows kind of is our normal. So we are getting back to normal, Harry. This is our normal. I apologize for the weird consistency we've had for the last couple months. I promise it's we're consistent gonna... inconsistency. That is that is what we do. We'll, we'll fix this right away because we're going to do a, a slipshot mess of stuff. And uh, we're going to swap stuff around. Also, the holidays are coming, which I'm sure is going to mess things up. But, you know, I I don't know. I I don't have a social life that I need to worry about, so I, I'm good. All right. So shall we get into Gaim episodes 21 through 23, yes? Yes. Uh, starting with Gaim 21, uh, Yggdrasil's Secret. Yeah, so we jump into this episode uh, following the... Uh, it was the Stark revelations, right? Of, like, Kota and the Other Realm realizing what the other world was, of uh, Kaito being... Uh, potentially seduced by the evil scientist and crew. And so we're kind of jumping in on our main characters as they're recovering from the emotional devastation of the previous couple eps. This three episodes, it's basically just Kota getting sadder and sadder as he realizes that it's a more complicated thing. And he's starting off just dejected down some stairs. And uh, Michi shows up and he says to Michi, oh, I just had a long chat with the white armored rider. And Michi flitches. It's like, oh, do you know who he is? Actually, now that you mention it, he never said. There's a lot of parallels going on between Kota and Takatora, just in terms of character. Like, you can kind of see, like, how Kota, you know, Takatora was clearly like Kota in the past, and he just went down a different path. And also a common thread between between the two of them, they are oblivious as fuck. Harry, Harry, how oblivious, like, Kota and Michi have been friends for, what, years? Something like that, probably. And how how bad a friend does he have to be to not realize that he's talking to his friend's brother? Uh, I mean... Or has Michi been hiding 
massive, massive secrets about his life for the entirety of their friendship, I suppose, would be the other option. I mean, it's Michi, so yes. Hmm. Is Michi keeping massive secrets? (laughs) The answer is yes. (laughs) Not for too much. Well, I mean, he's going to lose a couple in this arc. Uh, Don't worry, he'll find more. Oh, absolutely, he's going to find more. I'm so glad I got you to double down on... uh... On, ride, on riding the Michi train, Sam. You're gonna like where he goes. <laughs> oh, I I kind of have some thoughts and ideas, Harry, but, like... Uh, so, yeah, Michi... Uh, Kota immediately confesses to Michi what he learned about the other side. Of course, Michi knows, which is why Michi does not look terribly surprised. Yeah, he passes it off and saying, oh, I'm still processing it. But that that does explain everything Yatrasil's been doing. Using us as tense subjects and pinning the attacks on us. If it was all to protect humanity, I think that's totally justified. And Kota's like, yeah, but that doesn't sit right. They're like everybody. Like, and all right, I, I want to bring this out now. I feel like Kota is a much better done version of Komon. Komon from Ultraman Nexus, the, you know, may it, may it lie in ashes, you know, burn and shit. <laughs> Uh, like, he was just a big dumb idiot who was, like, bouncing against situations, and he was terribly acted, and he was just messing everything up. So, uh, Kota? And again, another co-name. Anyway, uh, so Kota, he is, he's very idealistic, he wants to believe the best in everybody, but also, he's very talented, he's helping people, he's, like, he's, he needs to be pointed in the right direction, but he's very driven, he understands that there are complicated situations, even if, like, he doesn't immediately grasp them. And, like, also, uh, the actor, like, I, I, I should look up his name, he acts the hell out of the character. Like, he, you can see his emotions and, like, his reactions in every scene. Yeah, I mean, let's not get too deep into this, Harry. Like, I think I think the actor that we're dealing with in Coda is about a magnitude or two better than the one that we were dealing with in Ultraman Nexus. That might just be a simple explanation that covers everything. Yeah, like, I, I mean, we... We're, we're dealing with probably reduced standards in lots of ways because we're watching lots of children's TV for this podcast. But still, like, it, Kota's actor is doing pretty good. On the subject of Kota, he says to Michi that they need to tell people. They need to tell Mai. And Michi, of course, being Michi, says, no, what the fuck is wrong with you? You need to keep everything you just learned a goddamn secret. Listen, you know, since you've kept the secret, Mai's been able to keep smiling, keep living a happy life. There's no such thing as real peace out there, but people need a little piece of their hearts. Those of us with power need to keep the truth to ourselves and fight to make sure they keep that peace. Don't you understand, Kota? Secrets are the key to happiness. Secrets never leave to sorrow. Secrets. Secrets. Rely on secrets. (laughs) I'm going to double down on secrets. (laughs) Uh, We then jump to the villain crew. Uh, it turns out that uh, uh, Takatura's plan is to make the riders so depressed that they give up their belts, that they give up fighting uh, the Eggdrasil Corporation, which is not a great plan. At what point does Mai say that he, she saw the big crack? That's the start of episode two. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So, me, me, yeah. Yeah. So this, the, episode, the evil- this episode is kind of a nothing episode. Like, it, it's a... It's a decompressing episode. It's a very emotionally driven episode. Very little plot actually happens this episode. Yeah, like Takatura. So I'll, I'll just edit that. I'll, I'll go right to what you say. Yeah, 
uh, Sid kind of calls out Takatora, saying, "Hey, uh, you're telling him a lot of stuff. I, 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 are you really letting Kota in on stuff?" And Takatora is like, "Well, no, no, I'm, I'm not telling him about the scalar weapon or about Project Ark. I'm not an idiot. I still have doubts sometimes, and it would honestly help a little bit if I could convince this pretty stand-up guy that we're doing the right thing. And I, I just want him to do that, honestly." We jump over to the Grease Lightning Garage, where uh, Zach is... Is Zach on the Gaim dance team right by now? Like, it seems like Zach and that other Baron dude and Team Gaim, they're like a single team at this point. Well, they uh, they mentioned they have a conversation with Mai, uh, who's saying, yeah, we... Because they've abandoned the Invest games and the weird, arbitrarily established competition between them... I feel like there's still different friend groups and different dance groups, but they also just kind of dance together and hang out and like they're friends now because they're just here to dance. So why not? It's all the innocent and doomed people hanging out in a single room. Uh, they're a little sad because, you know, the the invest games aren't going on, but there seem to be more and more invest attacks still. But and Michi's like, don't worry, you'll have me to protect you always. Always. Nothing will ever change. You hear that, universe? Michi will be here as your protector. I can balance these plates forever. <laughs> we cut to a scene <laughs> where the plates get spilled over because Sid just fucking hates Kota. Yeah. Yeah. Sid, we're getting more of his character because he was kind of like the the manipulative, like, I don't know, weapons, arms dealer, drug dealer type guy and stuff. But when he's hanging out in these big villain groups, you kind of see, like, he really just genuinely likes being down on people. And he also, he, like you, you brought it up, Sam, last episode. Uh, he's he almost like is talking a lot of boomer talk about. I really hate kids and like how they're big dumb idiots. Yeah, he is very much like dismissive of the younger generation, like dismissive of their feelings of their futures. He says to Ryoma, "Is it okay if I just fucking kill him?" And Ryoma, he just thinks about it for a second, like, eh, "I, I just need more data, you know. If you could push your Genesis driver to the limit, then go ahead." <laughs> Uh, so now we get a sequence of Kota just having various heart-to-hearts with people, like, uh, there's a discussion of morality and secrets. He's he's trying to come to an emotional and a mental consensus with himself. He talks with his sister, he talks with the bartender, who just drops the most perfect analogies for him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's sitting at dinner with his sister, and his sister's like, these are some great meat and potatoes. The secret is oyster sauce. And he looks in the eye and says, what if you knew the world was going to end and everyone was going to die? Would you want to know? <laughs> like, like at the fruit bar, the guy gives him a free part. He says, like, hey, you look a little down. He says, like, if you're just totally doomed, would, would you want, like, would you would you want to live the last of your days in ignorance or be able to do, do something about it? <laughs> Choices are hard, says Kota. Uh, so the the message he gets from his sister and from Bado is that, I mean, a lot of people might say that they wouldn't want to know that they'd want to live on, but I mean, it's my life, you know, it's my decision. I would kind of want to face it and, you know, live and live with it. Then, you know, just figure out a way to, you know, come, come to peace with myself. It's at this point that the show remembers it is a kid superhero show. So we get an invis attacking an armored car. So uh, kind of the... The crew gets together, like Zack, Michi, and uh, and Kota. The Invests are being led by a couple of people who very specifically aren't beat riders. They're just some leather jacket dudes who they don't recognize. Yes, they're uh, uh, they're central casting gangsters, is what they are. 
Uh, and they, and the main characters at this point are able to kung fu fight them for a little bit without transforming. They only they only henshin once they uh, call in the invest. Well, they actually they engage the invest in hand to hand, like untransformed, for a significant amount of time, or at a dangerous amount of time, considering that a single cut from an invest will kill them. Well, not not these ones. Like I. I think it was in a previous episode, like in the scene that we kind of skipped over when uh, they were dealing with the remains from an invest attack. Uh, so invests that are summoned by lock seeds that don't just come to themselves through cracks don't spread when don't spread uh, like the infection when they attack people. Okay, I did miss that. Yeah, because as we're going to get in a little bit, a big part of uh, the driver and lock seed system is the ability to kind of filter and protect people from... Uh, the from the effects of the fruit of Helheim. But yeah, it's a it's a fight. Uh I gotta be honest, Harry. I was assuming Zach was going to die in this fight. It seemed like this was the episode that he was going to exit this world. You thought he was gonna get like he was gonna take a, a shot from Sid or something for Kota? Or or something. I mean, like when Michi was calling Zach to help him with the Invis fighting the armored car, like, I mean in my notes, I just write R.I.P. Zack. I mean, I'm only going to be a few episodes off. Like, kid's doomed. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get there. But for now, like, uh, Michi and Zack are kind of dealing with the basic invest, and Kota gets off separated. And Sid stops him, says, like, hey, you you gotta stop going after my customers. Sid kind of drops some knowledge on Kota, specifically that the Egdrasil building is a goddamn Death Star. Yeah, the... The big sci-fi ring around it is a scalar electromagnetic weapon, which can wipe out my City with a push of a button. Yeah, like they they need to keep the masquerade going, and even if it costs them the entire city, they would rather wipe out everyone than let the secret get out. And Sid, very much intentionally playing the villain, pushes the buttons, does everything he can to seem to piss off Kota, and basically drive him into swearing vengeance against Yagdrasil. Yeah, Sid is intentionally pushing Coda right now, like, to attack him, to allow him the chance to take him out. He's coming right for him. He says that you kids should only play when and where the adults tell you to. And then he throws down with Coda. Coda decides to fight, and they have just the most ridiculous dodgy arrow fight ever, because they both have, like, the nerf- they both have the nerf arrow guns. And so it's a long lead up and a long shoot, giving both of them exactly just enough time to dodge all the shots that the other person is sending their way. But something kind of funny happens because Sid at this point is not holding back anymore and he starts losing anyways. Like, Sid is by a fair margin the weakest of the whole evil crew. But the most stylish. He's the furthest down underling and Kota has been... Constantly fighting every day against Invis and armored riders of various skill levels. He's been going through crazy training, and he actually beats Sid. Yeah, he doesn't just beat Sid, he takes his seed. And Sid is on the ground flabbergasted that this happened, and Kota is about to capture him, but then Michi is there in the shadows. Yes, Michi unleashes an Invis to distract Kota uh, just a few moments, enough to allow Sid to get away. And then immediately shoots the invest he summoned. Uh, to Kota's uh, great delight. Oh, Michi, you always have my back. Always, always, always. That will never change. Yeah, yeah. By uh, the way, like, Harry, like, you say 
Kota was going to capture Sid. What exactly was Kota's plan? Like, capture him to what end? I mean, we can theorcraft this. He probably would have just... Murdered him? Was he going to gank him? I think what would have happened is he would have taken him to the game clubhouse and, like, tied him up in the corner. Like, that's probably the most plan he had. <laughs> like, here, you can hang out next to the popcorn maker and we'll definitely interrogate you. Like, because he can't go to the cops in the city because they're owned by Yangjusil. Yeah. Like, I mean, the only... I I think Sid is probably a little lucky here, because if that had happened, then what Mishu would have had to do would probably just be murder Sid quietly in the room, like, without them knowing, like, oh, he must have had a suicide pill. Well... But yeah, as the episode comes to a close, uh, we see Kaito finally, who wasn't really in this episode, and he appears to be looking at a blurry photograph, which we do not know what is on the other side, but it looks like some kind of armored rider. Well, it's it's something holding a weapon. Yeah. So we go on to Gaim 22, the truth of one in seven. Yes, if last episode was a little meandering, this one wastes zero seconds getting to the goddamn plot. Kota is super pissed at the reveals he just got, and Michi works a little trying to deflect it. Maybe Sid was just lying or messing with you. But Kota says, no, he, that gains him nothing. Like, this is definitely true. Man, it, I'm surprised he told me all that. And Michi grinds his teeth and is like, yes, I am also surprised. And then they get a call from Mai that a mysterious crack has opened on a bridge. And this is real bad. This crack is opened, like, in the public on a bridge. No way to block it. No, like, if Invis start coming through this, it's kind of game over. Uh, the villain team, uh, and Takatora, who doesn't realize that I keep referring to his group as the villain team. <laughs> Poor Takatora. But he says, like, yeah, alright, uh, a crack finally opened where we can't hide it. It's on a bridge in the middle of the city. Close off both ends. If no Invis come through, you shouldn't be able to tell what's going on from a distance. Uh, and we will just defend the crack from the Helheim side. Uh, Team Good Guy uh, also comes to the same conclusion, like, holy shit, we can't let any Invis get through, which means we need to defend it from the Helheim side. Yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable plan, so they go off to do, so they go off to do that. Uh, Kaito, we see a little bit more of what he's doing, wandering through the forest of Helheim and leaving some paper packages. Kaito runs into Kota and Michi as he is leaving his mysterious packages, and he is even more aloof than normal. Yeah, he's basically f he's basically fully abandoned the plotline of dance teams in Zalame, and now he's all in on Helheim and doing his own thing. It makes sense. He's probably like five episodes ahead of everyone else on the show. Like, he, he knows about the Scalar EM weapon, uh, and he says, yeah, yeah, Professor Ryoma told me, it doesn't matter. Like, Zalame City and Yagdrasil both cower in the face of the forest. There's an, even, there's an even stronger enemy I must face. The world of Helheim itself. I'm going to get some power that's going to let me go beyond humanity and bring the whole world to its knees. So, you guys go save the day or whatever. I'm going to grind in the forest. Kaito's plan is to level the fuck up in the wild zone. By the way, Pokemon Sword Shield, pretty good. Kota and Michi, they sneak to the location of the crack and see that, you know, Yagdrasil Corporation has already set up a full squad of those uh, the spear troopers, and also Yoko and uh, Ryoma. Uh, Kota asks Dr. Waring, what are you doing here? Dr. Waring replies, it look, kind of looks like the same thing you are. Yeah, like, you know, we if an end of us gets through the crack, we're going to give up on Sawame City, but we're exploring our options. Uh, you know what? Truce? 
let's just cooperate for now. Uh, there's some tension, and uh, Kota eventually agrees to work with them to, you know, protect the city and destroy any invis that approaches the crack. Uh, Michi says, hey, uh, since you're here, you don't need me. It makes more sense for me to defend the city on the other side. As he rushes off to defend the city, a.k.a. my and other people in the vicinity. Mm -hmm. uh, Yoko is transformed. She's in a rider mode. But Ryoma is just sitting at a table with some science equipment. And uh, Kota asks what he's doing. He says, oh, I'm trying to throw together a device that can close the crack faster. Uh, it, it's quite impossible, but my terrible boss won't hear otherwise, so I'm just sitting here pretending to be busy. Ryoba is, he's hes having fun. Uh, just killing time, like pretending to be working on a project at the at the direction of your boss that you know will do nothing. But it was an order from your boss, so you kind of got to do it. I know that feel, man. I know that feel, doctor. Yep, Koto throws some shade at him, and he says, hey, my real plan is already totally done. I finished my main task of getting the mass production of drivers done. That's the heart of Project Arc. We then cut to Michi. He is uh, having a quick meeting with uh, the Gaim team at the Grease Lightning Garage. And he says, hey, there's a new stage. And guess what? It's underground. We should all get underground immediately to go dance. But we need to get underground right the hell now. Yeah, let's go do a show in the hardened survival bunker. <laughs> it's got great acoustics, Harry. Great acoustics. You know what? You'd probably throw a bitchin' party in there. Mm -hmm. So Ryoma, he he starts talking as like waves of invests are attacking the site and periodically Kota is stepping out to fight them like everybody is doing their part. He's saying, yeah, my driver converts fruit into lock seeds and enables the wearer to absorb their energy safely. So, you know, a human could live in the forest without becoming an invest. And uh, Kota says, wait, uh, how many of these are you going to make? You couldn't possibly get them for all of humanity. Nope. He can make a billion of them at the very most. Now, to be fair, like, that, that's a billion good. is a lot of people. Like, I mean, that's a good job. Like, if this, if this is the villain of the story, and his plan is to save, like, one-seventh of humanity, like... Fucking A, dude, like, gold star. Like, you were handed a shit sandwich, and you're kind of knocking it out the park. That's fair, but Kota is a little more idealistic, and he's like, oh, you just gotta let the other people die? And Ryoma says, no, we're not gonna let them do anything. If if uh, a crisis like that happens, and people have to fight over resources, that's gonna be a problem. So, in the ten years before Helheim has consumed the Earth, we're gonna cull its population down to just one-seventh. Yggdrasil is the world leader in biotech and pharmaceuticals. We have a lot of solutions. Yeah, they're going to poison the world. Not a great look. I mean, it's a shitty villain plan, but it's like, it's a logical choice. Like, it's a big thing. It's like, uh, do you choose between a shitty plan that will work or risk everything on something that might save everybody. But if you fail, then you've doomed it all. Well, I mean, you say that they're not seeing even like a slight chance of saving everything. They've kind of run the numbers. And so far, what they're coming up with is that they're doomed. They literally cannot stop this forest. So they need to work with it. Y you can see where they're coming from. It does kind of open up some really hard logistical questions like, my understanding, Harry, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the Helheim Forest uh, destroys and converts all the local, you know, flora and fauna. 
So, if you got a billion survivors, what are they eating? Uh, lock seeds. They can, they can eat lock seeds if they have the belts. Basically, the way it works, if you, we'll see it in later episodes, so this isn't a spoiler, but like, if you have a driver on, if you just take a fruit off a tree, it'll convert it into a lock seed. And then if you just plop it in there without, like, when it's closed, like, not without the open thing, then it'll just glow a little bit, and it'll basically just send nutrients right into your bloodstream. Really? So? Like, it's it's just straight nutrition. Like, you, later on, like, there's some characters that are just, like, you know, uh, kind of wander around in the forest and stuff. There's some people who are like, yeah, I mean, I'm busy, so I'm just, I haven't eaten in a while. I've just been using these lock seeds. It totally works. It's It's a working plan. Huh. Okay. It's technically sustainable. As as far as an emergency plan, it would work. It's pretty intense. I would imagine that they, like, they also plan to create, like, a safe, like, sterile zones or something, right? So people can be detransformed. Yeah, probably something like that. And also, another thing pointing out, uh, this is the, kind of the last thing of the giving the belts to dance crew members. This equipment, it needs to be usable by civilians. Like, People without any military training or something like that have to be able to defend themselves in the forest. And then Yggdrasil developed the next generation of belts, like the Genesis drivers for themselves, to have like a little bit of power. And also because they're an evil corporation, also to just like, hey, we still have the best ones, so we can still kind of control stuff. It is kind of funny that like the supervillain's plan is to create like a billion superheroes. Yeah, it's it's real interesting. There's some there's some more fighting. Off in the underground bunker, the whole dance team is looking around and being like, this is not a dance. This is not a sad stage. And Michi says, oh no, looks like the elevator's broken. We're stuck underground for the next few minutes to see if the city gets destroyed. Oops, I didn't say that. And everybody else in the shelter is very scared looking, so I guess they're the the very close people, like the VIPs from the corporation. Or like the friends and family, like, you know. the The fighting, it dies down. They manage to wipe out the last of the invests, and the crack closes. Yes, everyone's very happy. And Kota, well, except for Kota, who's pissed at everything. And so he decides to take the initiative finally, and he strikes out. He grabs a lock seed and he takes it away uh, from uh, from the female rider. Oh, it was during this fight that he used the cherry lock seed for the first time? Was it, was that the one he did that? Uh, yes, the cherry lock seed that he stole from Sid. Yeah, so I think the thing with his little attachment thing is that he's like the the like uh the energy lock seeds, he gets like little extra powers in different ways out of them. So Cherry is brief brief, brief bursts of super speed. Yes, and so now he has three like high level uh lock seeds uh for use in his belt. And he has also effectively crippled two of his two of his primary villains. But I not really, like I mean, yeah, they they can use different they can use different lock seeds. Like, I, I'm pretty sure they they get one like the next day. It's not like it's not like a big problem. But at least for now, like you know, he's making his intention is to make an end run into the Agdrasil building to destroy the super laser, and he has wiped out half of his competition before he's even set footed there. Good job, Coda. Take that initiative. And he immediately gets on his bike, starts driving through the forest, and heading right through. And heading right for the crack into the headquarters, because he's going to, he can't, you know, let them have the scalar weapon. He's just going to break in and fuck up their control system. So he runs in, he gets into the science room, he scares everyone away, and then he walks into a hallway and has a tense fucking standoff with Takatura. 
you would actually wipe out the city. In Tarkator size, it says there's two hundred people. There's two hundred thousand people in Zawame City. In the coming years, we're going to need to kill thirty thousand times that many people. Honestly, we should we should kill more with the first hit. I mean, he. I'm sure the show wants him to have a redemption arc at some point, but goddamn man, like this is a guy who looked at the trolley problem and just added more people onto the track. Well, I mean, it's it's less the trolley problem and more the cold equations. It's like, this is the resources I have. What can I do? Uh, so they fight, and Kota, you know, Kota's going super saiyan. Kota is winning. Kota is super adaptable. It's even noticed by Takatora in the forest, like, wow, you're learning this really fast. Uh, so he actually starts pushing back Zangetsu final, and, and he gets to the control room. And he's shouting stuff about how it's totally unethical to live after sacrificing people. And Takatora sees an opportunity. And he detransforms. He holds up his hands and he says, oh, oh, you poor sweet summer child. You're such an idiot. You still don't know what happened, do you? Walks over to the computer, pulls up case file 167, and Kota finally sees what happened to Yuya. Yes, he sees Yuya eat the fruit. He sees Yuya transform. And he sees Yuya go into the real world where he knows that he then fought and killed him. He breaks down at this. Like, he falls to his knees and Takatora is twisting the knife. Like, I I don't blame you. You had to fight or you would be killed. You found hope from the sacrifice of your former friend. You're free to abandon it and fall into despair over the lives your actions saved and over your own survival. Dropping the hard truths there. I mean, that would have been a good place to stop, but I, the arc definitely ends and like kind of concludes itself in the next one. So let's go into game 23, take the field, triumphant arms. Where, an episode where Sab started angrily texting me partway through. <laughs> not not angry texting, but very confused texting, of which I still am quite, quite confused, Harry. As the episode starts, uh, Kuta is just sadly walking away from Yggdrasil Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> just a defeated man, and they let him go. Uh, Takatora sees that he's basically little more than a husk now, he won't bother us again. And he he apologizes to Michi, saying, hey, I might have revealed too much. And Michi says, no, it's fine. A harsh dose of reality might make him a bit more understanding. Uh, then we see Kaito. We finally get to hang out with Kaito a bit this episode, Harry. Oh, 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 no, no, actually, uh, a little bit more in the scene, because that, that wasn't, uh, that was between Ryoba and Michi, actually. Ryoma was the one apologizing. He says, like, uh, the bigger problem is Kaito Komon. You're using an outsider to further a secret agenda right under Takatora's nose. Ryoma says, you think I'm going to betray Takatora? Michi leads in and says, of course, because he trusts you much more than he should. It's a bad habit of his. He always places his faith in the least trustworthy people. Oh, Michi. Oh, Michi. He's got a good read on his brother. Uh, so now, now, we get to see a little bit of what Kaito was doing. Those uh, mysterious, like, paper-wrapped packages that he was dropping all over, they are books. And they are NASA plates of, like, you know, the of the Leonardo, like, figure of man. For he is trying to get the attention of an alien. He's been dropping them around the forest, and uh, he 
he is one one time when he's just walking through a strange red figure holding a sword walks up to him and holds up the book it starts talking yep it's not speaking uh like anything we can understand i, I think it's like a constructed language that's actually a pretty it's basically like just substituting letters or something uh, people were able to decipher it but it's just it's just a different language but in any case that it's talking is important I gotta be honest, Harry, it sounded very Japanese to me. Well, like it's like I said, it's Japanese phonemes and stuff. It's just they swapped out syllables, so it would still be like the cadence of Japanese in similar construction. I, I kinda thought I lost subtitles for a few seconds. Like I wasn't quite sure what was going on. It's Albed, you know. There's a communication barrier, but it's fixed a bit when the red figure throws the Voyager plate against the wall and tears the book in half. Which is pretty universal. Then he pulls out his sword. And it's time for Mr. Power to throw down. You're making this easier than I expected. Uh, so now we go to the juice bar of self-reflection. And Harry. Harry. This is where the episode kind of goes off the rails. Or maybe possibly where the series goes off the rails. Because Kota, he had a brief scene with Michi where Michi says like, yeah, uh, I knew about Yuya, but I decided to not let you know. So you could live in ignorance and stuff. Like, it's fine. I'll ha- I'll handle everything. Just sit quietly. I'm the hero now. Uh, Kota being Kota says he needs to tell Mai about what happened to their mutual friend. And Michi just leads in, twists that knife. No, no. Mai will blame herself. You destroyed Yuya to protect her. So she will take that blame. Can you do that to, can you do that to Mai? Again, basically emotionally using Mai as a hostage in this whole conversation. Ah, poor Mai. Like, this show is not going to be kind to Mai, is it, Harry? Uh, Alright, I'll I'll say this. So, it's a few episodes before Mai finds it out. When it gets to Mai, she's sad for a bit, but she basically wipes her tears and says, Well, that sucks, but thanks for telling me. (laughs) they're They're both being big idiots about this. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, Kota's being an idiot. Michi's being manipulative. Like, all right. Kamen Rider Double, we watched it. It ended with, like, uh, Incel Sephiroth. This this series is, like, uh, like nice guy revolver ocelot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he even gets visited by weird time-space lady. Oh, yeah. So, in this bar, in this juice bar of self-reflection... We get two back-to-back scenes of Otherworld Gods. The first being Future Ghost Mai, who, you know, tells Co- who tells Kota that he still has time to alter his fate if he if he runs out of town? Like I was a little unclear. Okay, if I'm giving a note to Future Ghost Mai, she needs to be a whole lot more fucking explicit with her instructions. If she is trying to change things, she is obscuring things just a little bit too much. I mean, she says he'll regret it for the rest of his days if he turns from his fate, but he's not going to lose everything. So, and eventually he'll probably be able to work past his regret and then find peace. So just, just run away. So does she want him to leave town? Uh, I mean, we'll get into it. I mean, I can, uh, I have, I've watched, I mean, it's like, the full breakdown is a thing to get into and it's like, it's a waste from here. Well, someone who absolutely does not want Kota to leave town, who comes in after a future ghost Mai uh, fucks off, is DJ Sagara. 
who appears in a random booth and starts spouting off some knowledge that he has no right having. He starts like, hey, you know, you look down. What happened to your zeal to defend the city? Like, come on, you, you were talking big game before. Kota explains the stuff that happened, and he's like, yeah, that's got to be embarrassing. Sorry. Uh, but he starts dropping some very, very strong themes about Kamen Rider. Like, fighting to protect is an oxymoron from the start. The only thing power is good for destroying. What you're opposing isn't Yggdrasil or Helheim. It's the iron rule that says the world demands sacrifice in exchange for hope. You're fighting that rule itself. Destroy it and change the world. He says that Yggdrasil is weak. That they are constrained by rules and laws and reality. And as he is doing this, he is performing magic with his hands. He is crafting lock seeds. He is crafting tools and gizmos. He, Harry, what is DJ Sagara? Alright, you asked a while ago what uh, villain, what Spider-Man villain DJ Sagara would be. He would, like, I think I said this in the texts. The only way Spider-Man would be fighting DJ Sagara is if he was part of the Avengers. So, is he Loki? He's, he's something. Is he a god? He's something. Is he Helheim? Maybe. Uh, So, the DJ, he's talking about, he's talking about the rulers of Helheim. The overlords. Yeah, the overlords of Helheim. He's talking about their personalities. He's talking about how well they rule Helheim, as though he knows them and has interacted with them. Yeah, basically, not all of the people from the world were destroyed. A couple of them gained transcendent power instead. And they're the overlords, and they can do all kinds of shit. Like, it's it's overlaid on a scene of Kaito fighting this guy. Uh, I'll, I'll just say his name, Demushu, is this red one. He can fire big energy attacks, he can move around fast, he can control the plants of the force that will. Like, he's summoning vines to wrap up Kaito. But they're not the ones taking over the world, they're just kind of sitting there and lazing around in Helheim. Well, but, um, if they control the plants, Harry, are they controlling the invasion? Are they behind the invasion of Earth? No, like, the the cracks are being opened by themselves. Like, the their world was destroyed by the cracks showing up there. Like, these... They're kind of just the dudes who fought over the scraps of the world, and now they're just hanging out in the rubble, not really doing anything. The DJ, he gives he gives Kota uh, some new lock seeds, some new tools, a uh, flying motorcycle. It's one of the ones that help, that uh, Yggdrasil has been using. Yggdrasil doesn't know about the Overlords. The first guy in there that found it out kept it under his hat, because he has his own plan. He's just manipulating them and Kaito. And Kota thinks for about a second, it's like, Ryoma warring, isn't it? So the DJ, he gives Co- he gives Kota motivation, he gives Kota tools, and he gives Kota a direction. He says Kota needs to fight fate, he needs to fight the idea that people need to be sacrificed, which means he needs to go after that goddamn super weapon. When Kota blinks for a second, while he's thinking, uh, DJ Sagar isn't there anymore. Sam, you asked earlier if he could teleport, the answer is yes. <laughs> But also, like, the whole scene is different. Like, he was kind of sitting in a dark, empty restaurant. And it, it's basically to everyone outside. I think Kota just teleported around because they didn't see what was happening. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if he was hijacking the dreamscape that uh, Future Ghost Mai caused. Or if he was causing this himself. Like, did, what what the fuck is DJ Sagara? 
But anyway, Kota, he is motivated. He is a man on a mission now, and so he runs out of the bar, and he pays for his tab. He drops a thousand dollar yen bill, and the the manager of the bar is blown away. He says that he has never paid before, to which his assistant replies, he still has a twelve thousand dollar tab. Well, twelve twelve thousand yen, which is like a hundred twenty bucks. Still, it was a nice comedy beat. He's charging up the street. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this power to destroy and not protect. I'm gonna smash apart the despair and hopelessness. The first thing to break is the thing holding the city in despair. Well, it's not really holding the city in despair because only like five people know about it who are not working for Yagdrasil. Metaphorical despair. Secret despair, but it's like eh. It's like a cloaked sort of Damocles. Yeah. Uh, so he flies up on the bike, he puts in the new lock seed, and he transforms as he falls into triumphant arms. And he does a Star Wars trench run, or more specifically, he does the uh, Rogue One attack on the uh, on the docking ring. It, it's a bit before he does that, because there's an amazing scene where like he drops in the triumphant arms, and a bunch of little flyers show up, and they all machine gun him for like a minute. And he just straight no-sells it. And he pulls out, like, his new weapon, which is a gun that... Uh, so, DJ Sagara, he's got weird origins, but he is a DJ, so the gun he gave him does have a mechanic where you need to scratch it like a record. It is very toyable, but then Kota turns it, and he machine guns down, like, a hundred security guards, Harry. So, in an earlier fight with the ATST things, they were very careful to show, like, the pilots getting knocked out of the seats. Less so in this one. Not to mention, even if they were knocked out of their seats, these guys are about 300 feet above the ground. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll think about it. Sometimes these shows are a little iffy on what is or is not fatal. Anyway, inside the building, Rio, Dr. Ryoma, he's watching over a security camera. And, like, this whole show, he's been kind of smug and happy, like, above it all. But he sees this guy using a lock seed that he hasn't heard of, that he never made, because he's the guy who invented all the lock seeds. And he flips out. He is fucking pissed. Takatura can't stop him, none of Ryoma guys can stop him, and Kota destroys the super weapon. Uh, it's a big fight. I, I really like uh, Triumphant Arms, like Kachidoki Arms is kind of the, the Japanese name. It is very cool suit of armor. Extremely, extremely ran. Extremely samurai. Like, his weapons have fucking flags on them. Yeah, he does lots of flag attacks and stuff. And as all this goes on, off to the side on a rooftop, DJ Sagar is watching. And Ghost Mai appears before him, or rather behind him. And uh, asks why you drove him back into the battle. And Sagar turns around and says, Because you're so obsessed with the boy, woman at the start of it all. <laughs> I, I can't see the feature, but I know exactly who you are and what it means to be chosen by you. What the hell is going on, Harry? Like, are these two, like, warring spirits of Helheim, like, using humans as their petty pawns and their own personal struggle? Well, uh, the woman of the beginning says, like, hey, it's not your place to choose these things. And Sagra says, hey, I'm just, I'm just keeping an eye on things. I want to see who grasps the golden fruit. So with that, the battle finishes up on the top of the tower. Kota smashes the weapon, says, All right, uh, I, I've done what I needed to do. Uh, you can't torture the evidence anymore. If you want to keep your secrets, get serious about protecting the city from Inves. And he dashes off. And the scientist is so pissed. He's like almost vibrating levels of pissed. 
gets a real tight expression and says, Misusane, I have another very important assignment for you. I need you to thoroughly investigate Kota Kazuraba and find out who's aiding him from the shadows. And Misusane, who in this conversation was kind of like, he's going a little bit more into villain mode, like, why didn't you just do as I said? It's now, the ball's now in Misusane's court. Yeah. That's almost the end of the first, so, I mean, there was like, we had a bit of an act break between episodes 11 and 12, but this was like a pretty big one in the course of the series. Because we're getting more to the plot of like, hey, there's the overlords and stuff. And also, at least from the human side, we found out pretty much all the mysteries and stuff of like of uh, the groups. And it's like, we know all the motivations, why things are happening. So you're admitting that DJ Sagra, not human. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> look, he's a really good DJ as well. <laughs> he's, got the, he's got to get those hits up for his internet show. Hey, if you were on an alien world, like, wouldn't you start up, like, a dance channel on their YouTube, Harry? That seems like, you know, a good way to ingratiate yourself to the population. Yeah, maybe. So, uh, Sam, you said you had something you wanted to cover? Okay, so yes, we are at, you know, basically the 50% mark of the show. Uh, we've covered, you know, the first couple acts. We have are about to go into a whole back end. But I decided that this was the week to do something that I knew I was going to do at some point in the series, and that was rewatch the first two minutes of episode one. Right. So, Harry, how long has it been since you watch since you rewatched the first two minutes of episode one? Uh, I mean, I think since we put out the episode, like uh, I don't think I've gone back and done it. Like I'll, I'm pulling it up now so I can look at it. But so this show. You know, from and we knew this from the first episode. This is a time travel show. And so in the first two minutes of episode one, we saw three warring armies just going head to head at it. We had no context about what was happening at all. Not of this not of the location of the fight, not of the identities of the combatants. We knew absolutely nothing. Like Gary probably did because he's seen the show before, but what going through the show the first time, you would have nothing. And so now that we've hit the 50% mark, I chose to go back and just made a few notes. Like, first off, Kaito is working with Jodachi? Kind of. Like, I, I think I told I think I told you way back when, like, this might be a bit more metaphorical than you think. Yeah, so that's like, that's my first question. So, there are a lot of perils. There's a lot of goddamn perils when you go into a time travel show. Like, you have to have your continuity on goddamn fucking point, or you need to have or you need to have fuzzy time travel rules where a little bit of variation is fine. You know, the Doctor Who style of things, where the future finds a way the details are less important. And so, like, no one is in their evolved suits at this point. Everyone is just in their basic-ass armor. Kaito is working alongside jo- uh, Jonichi, and is getting backed by a series of, like, flying watermelon mechs kite uh kota is completely alone uh he is on a horse leading a horde of invests and uh seems like no mechanized armor and then uh, michi and tokatura are off to a side uh with uh several transformed watermelon mechs and a whole fuck ton of invests behind them like just watching over like medieval lords as the two you know best friends go head to head Kind of like them, like kind of like them, wear each other out on the big old fight. Yeah, 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 and it makes sense. But Zach is not there. R.I.P. Zach. 
Unless Aquas turned into an invest, in which case he is there. Maybe. Maybe he turns into a mech. Maybe he turned into the horse. Oh, poor Zack. Poor, poor dead future Zack. Like, also, uh, also Bravo is not there. I think Bra- I think Bravo was not intended to be as big of a character as he was as the show went along. For Kamen Rider Gaim, they brought in Gen Urbuchi, the famous writer of uh, Madoka Magica and stuff. And they, you know, he definitely put his spin on stuff, but there's... There were also some conflicts with the way he wanted to do the show and the way uh, these types of shows are designed. Literally, all of the toys and transformation gadgets were chosen by the company before he was put on the project at all, so he had to work all of them in. Uh, I think I stated in the first episode, like he he wanted them to just be gangs fighting in the streets instead of dance groups. Although, honestly, I kind of like this change because it's fun and interesting. And it gets across the same thing. I guess you could say, uh, so the the first half of the show, some stuff going on, but in the second half of the show, a thing you start noticing more is weird conflicts as Gaim, the show, uh, maybe conflicts with Toei as a whole and, like, the shows they're doing, and, like, the other, their other franchises, like the movies and projects they're being pulled in on, and it's, that's a thing that we'll be encountering to different levels as we enter, like, the next 23 episodes. Like, kind of, there's three eras to the show, almost. Uh, one through 23, 24 through 46, and then 47 is his own thing. Wait, 47 is, like, <laughs> how much drama was around episode 47, Harry? Everyone everyone says it's one of the worst episodes a Kamen Rider ever made, and I've seen parts of it, and yeah, they're kind of right. Anyway, we'll Really? Wow! Wow, the final episode is a flaming trash fire? I mean, it's almost disposable as a thing. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't give a firm answer as to the weird thing at the start of episode one, but what I was saying as far as crossovers and stuff, the, the thing we're covering next week uh, that probably no one will listen to, looking at the download statistics, but whatever. Sam, we're doing a commentary track. Yay! Because in the regular time slot for Common Rider Gaim, there was a crossover. Oh, Hey! With the currently running series of Super Sentai. That is technically canon, I think. And we're going to watch it. Oh no. What is it, Harry? Sam, what do you think about trains? Um, I I, I kind of don't. Well, that's because you're not from Japan. Because let me tell you something, Sam. Japan loves its fucking trains. <laughs> Alright, everyone. Yeah, next week we're covering the uh, Express Sentai Tokyuger versus Kamen Rider Gaim hour-long special. And until then, what do we say, Sam? Keep on dancing, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>